We are in the middle of a series that we've called Rooted. We're actually in lesson number six. I've entitled it Rooted and Hanging On. Pretty good title for today, huh? Rooted and Hanging On. I want to I get our, our attention going because we're going to look at verses 81 and, and following. But I wanted to start us with a verse in Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. Because sometimes when we get to my topic, which is really all about waiting, we, we tend to come to the conclusion that God's a little slow. You know, he's just a little slow. Uh, it would have been great if we'd have heard from you on that topic last week or last month or before the last uh, set of circumstances. And we get, to, we get to thinking that maybe somehow God is uh, a little slow. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse number 9, the Bible says this. Um, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. I, I, I was struck by that phrase, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. That some group, I don't want to be a member of. I don't want to join that group. I don't want to network with those people. I don't want to be part of the some group. I want my time and my attention to be focused into God's word, answering that key question that we're going to find in, uh, first, uh, or in uh, Psalm 119. Turn with me there now to verse number 81. We're going to read 81 to 88, and I want you to see a very key question that starts off pretty early. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pits to trap me, contrary to your law. All of your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for I am being persecuted without cause. They almost wiped me from the earth, but I have not forgotten or forsaken your precepts. In your unfailing love, preserve my life, that I may obey the statues of your mouth. Verse 84, how long must your servant wait? There is a lot of waiting in God's word. There is a lot of waiting in our lives. Uh, I was reading some things about waiting. It was reminding me that when Jesus finally showed up in the boat with the disciples, the, the, the scripture is very clear to tell us it was during the fourth watch of the night. That's the way the Romans divided up a night. They started at 6 p.m. and went to 9. That was the first the first watch, then from nine to midnight, and then midnight to three. And the fourth watch was three to six in the morning. Those poor disciples had been out fishing since before 6 p.m. the night before. God didn't show up until the fourth watch. Have you ever been a little slower than you might like? How about the children of Israel? How long did they wander around uh, until the uh, wander around in Egypt until the Exodus, 400 years. And then when they got in the desert, they had another 40 years before God let them go into the promised land. And then when he, he rose from the dead, he said to the disciples, I want you to wait 
in Jerusalem. Wait. Boy, if you're going to pick a topic that is not one I like, this would be it. I am a notoriously poor waiter. I am just too impatient with life. I want it, and I want it now. I don't sit well. I don't rest well. I don't turn things off well. So this lesson might just be for me, but you get to listen to it. How's that? Let's talk about that word wait first. In the Hebrew, it's a very interesting word. It, it uh, might be pronounced kava, but what kava really means at, it root, at, at its root is that you take various strands of, I don't know, jute or string or rope, and, and you bind them together by twisting them. And when you've got them all twisted, then you've got, you've got a, a product that someone would say, well, that's a product of, of waiting. It's the idea, biblically, that we're looking forward to something, but we're looking forward to it eagerly. We, we hope, but we hope even more so than just I wish, I wish, I wish. We hope with a sense of expectation. There is some strength behind that waiting. It's not a passive sit around, time's going by, yeah, I waited. No, it is a waiting with an attitude and an attitude of expectation. In the New Testament, one of the verses that capture that idea is in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2, where the Bible says, set your hearts on things above. When we get overwhelmed, and we seem to be in a season, unlike any that I can remember in my life, of being overwhelmed. I was, I was struck by a verse in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 4, where he's come to, to rebuild the wall. I think I may have mentioned this to you last week, at least it's been on my heart. And, and the Bible says in chapter 4 that the people came to Nehemiah and said, we can't even show up for work because there's so much rubble. And that phrase just struck me as life as it is right now. There is so much rubble. If it isn't the political arena, it's the issue of, of social injustice. If it's not that, it's obviously our health uh, issues. If it's not that, now we have fires, we have snowstorms, we have this, we have... There's just so much rubble. But waiting on the Lord is not just the, I will sit here. It is a confident kind of expectation where the, where the ropes have been wound together and we have some reason to sit there in faithful waiting. In faithful waiting. It's based on some prior knowledge that we have. And there's, there's a sense of, of trust that builds up. When I was younger, my father in the military went away a lot. And, and he was flying on, on some airplanes out of Hawaii and it, and it seemed like every other week he was flying away. And one day I was particularly struck by he was leaving again, and it really was bothering me. My dad sat me down, and he looked at me and said, Sherry, let's talk about last month. What happened? Let's get a calendar out. Let's look. And we always kept the calendar when he was gone, so we'd know how many days until he got back. And he said, now, I was gone this many days. What happened on this day? Well, you came home. Yeah. And I, and I was gone this many days. What happened on this day? Well, we went down to the end of the runway and we picked you up. Yeah, I came home, right? And then on this day, you know, you can tell where this is going. My father was leading me to understand that I could have a confident hope that while he was going away, very likely he was coming back again, just as he had done so many times before. That's the evidence, the heart behind the biblical idea of waiting. 
we're waiting for the Lord to fulfill his word just like he always does. And our understanding, our ability to do that waiting is rooted here. How are people living life today without God's word? I don't get it. I don't understand it. If we don't have God's word, on what are we waiting? Humidity to go up? What? A miracle cure to show up tomorrow? My hope is not in those things. I pray for those things, but my hope is not in it. My hope is in this, right here. I can read it. I can consume it. I can let it confront me. I can let it fill my soul. I can let it encourage me. It is God's word. And on that, I have some confidence and therefore can wait. Now, there's some some things involved biblically in waiting. The first one is there is a sense of complete dependence. It is complete dependence on the Lord. You remember in, in Psalm 23 when it's talking about the, I put it in your notes, the dumb sheep. You can, you can tell I was thinking about that when I was typing my notes. But Psalm 23 is a description of, of the relationship of a great shepherd and his sheep. And at one point he says, he leads me beside still waters. Okay, a sheep will not drink from a stream that's crackling over, over rocks. If it makes any noise, if there's any splash, if there's any as it goes by, that's going to sound so good on the tape. Anyway, if there's any of that motion, that dumb sheep will not drink. He would die of, of dehydration sitting three inches away from a lovely source of water. But in his fear, he will not drink unless the shepherd dams up around that portion so there's a little pool and the noise is taken away and the splashing stops and the, and the dumb sheep will now drink. There is a complete dependence when we're waiting on the Lord. I have no place else to go, nowhere else to look to, nothing else to, to put my confidence in. There is a complete dependence there's a story told about a, a, a group, I believe it was in Oklahoma somewhere. It was a, a country church, and there had been a, a lack of rain for months and months and months and months, and the crops were all dying. And the church decided to have a prayer meeting to ask God to make it rain. And everybody came, they all crowded into that church, and they were all sitting there, and everybody was praying, and, and a little girl walked in with an umbrella. And she walked down the middle of the aisle, and she sat up here in the front with her umbrella. You're starting to grin at me because you know what's coming in the story. Out of all of them, she's the only one that was praying with expectation. She figured when they walk back out, it's going to be raining. Need my umbrella. There is a kind of confidence in the waiting that God is asking us to do that, that is rooted in a dependence on the Lord. This happens, that happens, those things happen, these are not pleasant, this is not something we would chose would have chosen. But nonetheless, I'm going to pray and I'm going to bring my umbrella. Because there is a confidence associated with that complete dependence. The second thing I put in your notes is that there is a willingness to allow him and him alone to set the terms for this. Well, you know, if it's me, I, I want a time frame. I want it scheduled. So when are you planning on sending the rain? Is that 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 2.15? Is it on my schedule? Is it built into my, my plans? 
What makes you a better waiter is when you can wait with a sense of willingness. It's God's schedule. It's not mine. I don't tell him what to do. He, has, he sets the terms. He sets the time. He thinks differently than we do. Isaiah 55, his ways are not our ways. When, when, when we understand that God is in control and setting the time frames for the things that we're concerned about, there is a sense of, oh, okay, okay, I get it. My activities come under control. My readiness for any kind of a new command is at the ready. I'm, I'm listening. All right, Lord, what's next? And I have an ability, a special supernatural ability to do nothing until the command comes. That's what waiting is all about. Now, the Bible is filled with some people who, who, who did not wait well. Let me give you a couple of examples. And then we'll talk about some, the, some of them that did wait well. Uh, the classic one that didn't wait well is Abraham and Sarah. Sarai at that point. So God comes along in the early chapters of Genesis and says, You're my man. I'm going to make a whole country, a whole people group out of you. And out of you, uh, this, is a, this is a group of people I am choosing to bless. And out of you, there will be blessing for everyone else. You are going to be the father of a massive nation. And time goes by and there ain't no baby. So what do they do? Are they waiting well? No. They take things into their own hands. Well, let's see here. In our culture, it's acceptable to have a baby with a handmaid. So we need to get this, uh, you know, father of many nations things going. So Abraham, how about you take my handmaid, Hagar, and have a baby with her. It will be your son. We'll get it. Uh, We'll get this nation going. Wrong. They weren't waiting well. No sooner did they go through that than God does indeed do what he said he was going to do. The child was born and there was the conflict between his son Isaac and Ishmael. And that conflict affects your world today. Not a very good waiter. Another one that I think, oh my goodness, does this sound like me? It's pathetic it sounds like so my. So much like me. First Samuel chapter 13, it's Saul. Saul is leading the army. The Philistines are ready to wipe him out yet again. He has an agreement with Samuel that Samuel's going to come and bless the army. He's going to offer the appropriate sacrifices. And he and Samuel had an agreement that seven days and Samuel would show up and do his thing. Because you needed to be of the priestly line in order to offer the appropriate sacrifices. So Saul agrees, seven days, you're going to show up, you're going to offer the offerings, and we'll wipe out the Philistines. Time goes by, and Samuel doesn't show up. So what does Saul do? I guess I better, you know, become the one who does the offering. And so he got the fire together, and he got the animals killed, and he began to offer the sacrifice. Totally against God's guidelines and rules in the books of of, of Philippians and Deuteronomy. He just took matters into his own hands. It wasn't going quick enough. It wasn't happening the way he wanted it to. Don't tell me I'm the only one that's ever done that. God, need a little nudge here. I'll just mention it to this person. I'll just lay a little note out for my husband. I'll lay a fleece out. Or even more direct. 
Those are some examples of not waiting well. Let me give you a couple of examples of waiting very well. When Moses led the children of Israel to leave Egypt and they found themselves faced with the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army stomping down behind them. They're blocked on one side by mountains and desert on the other side. The only way to go is forward. And here is this gigantic body of water. And what does, what does Moses say to the children of Israel? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I have used that phrase in my heart so many times it's not funny. Sherry, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't push and shove. Don't make it happen. What is God wanting to do with this situation? They did wait. He took his staff. He held it over the water. What happens? The water is parted. They waited well. Another example of someone who waited well is Elisha. He wanted to be a prophet like Elijah. And he said to Elijah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang around because I really need to have a double portion of the blessing of the spirit that God has given you in order to do anything for God. And, and, and Elijah says, well, I tell you what, if you're there when I go up into heaven, God has a plan to take me without my physical dying. If you're physically there with me at that time, God will grant your request. And Elijah set out on his circuit of, 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 of villages and towns that he went to routinely. And so he goes to one, one, uh, one village, then he goes to another, then he goes to another. And every time he goes, he tells Elisha, just hang back. You don't need to come. Nope, where you go, I go. Next town, where you go, I go. Nope, where you go, I go. He was waiting expectantly for God to do the thing that he asked him to do. And lo and behold, because of his appropriate, obedient waiting, that's exactly what happened. He got a double portion of God's spirit. There are some, some truths found in these illustrations. On the negative side, taking things into our own hands. On the positive side, standing still and waiting for the salvation of the Lord. Now let me give you some practical disciplines, if you will, or some, some practices that we might do, all of us, to increase and improve our ability to biblically wait. The first thing is to acknowledge that God is sovereignly in control of all things. That is hard. Go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. I love this passage. Ecclesiastes, we're in Psalm, turn right and go a few books, and you will find Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we're going to look at verse 13 and 14. 7.13 says this. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. God made the good stuff. God made the not so good stuff. God is sovereignly in control. That is hard to embrace. And it's almost like we wait until the very last minute where we've, we've done all of our maneuvering and our trying and our phone calls and our, our networking and our, our resource gathering and we end up short, hanging on the end of a rope with a big knot on it. And it's at that moment we go, oh, okay, God's sovereign. Wouldn't it be better if we could do that earlier? Practice the biblical 
uh, action of waiting. And it will require us to acknowledge that God is sovereign. The second thing it'll may require is that we have to come to terms with the fact that we're dependent on him. We like to think we can handle anything. We have that John Wayne mentality in our culture. You know, pilgrim, I can do it myself. But we cannot. Just around this room, if I started with what little I know about your lives and said, what about her, what about her, what about her, what about their family, what about that, what about that, it would become very obvious we are dependent people. When we come to terms with that, when we say, that, like Job did in, in Job chapter 1, the Lord gave and the Lord took away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That might have to come through tears, but it needs to come. It might be a broken heart that we take to God and say, okay, this broken relationship, this broken body, this broken finances, whatever it might be, the Lord gave and the Lord took away, still, blessed be the name of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul makes a statement, and his statement is this, without you, excuse me, that is in John, John 15, without you, I can do absolutely nothing. Nothing. Nothing of any worth, nothing of any value. I am totally and completely dependent on you. I can wait when I get that you're sovereign and I start to come to grips with the fact that I am dependent. Because then we start to seek our strength from the Lord, not from ourselves. Psalm 33, verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Where do we get it? From the Lord. Not from a friend, not from, from an acquaintance, not from a checking account, not from a 403B or whatever B you have, but from the Lord. I seek my strength from him. And then we do a little bit of that, what do we teach the kids? Uh, stop, drop, and roll. Only this one is stop, sit still, and be quiet. Sit quiet. I'm trying to develop this spiritual discipline. I'm failing miserably, but I'm trying, and I'm not giving up yet. Of just finding a time, find a chair, sit down, do this with my hands, and do not move. Don't read, don't listen, don't sing, don't talk, don't make lists, don't write. Sit and be quiet. It is good, Lamentations 3 says, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's try that this week. I promise I will try again if you will join me at some time during this next week. And I'm going to ask you next Tuesday, who's set? Find a time, turn the phone off, you know, go in a room where there's nobody else. Go sit in the car in the garage if you have to. Don't turn it on, but just sit in there. Stop, sit still, be quiet. Another part of things that need to be practiced is listening for directions. I said before, and I'll say again, the solution to these difficulties, in this case waiting, is found in God's word. I need to listen. A couple of the, the Psalms and or a couple of the verses in Psalm 119, verse 52, 54, 55, he says, I remembered your ancient laws. O oh Lord, and I, I, I find comfort in them. 
When I have memorized God's word, when I have put it into my soul, it's there to be pulled back out. And when I bring it back out, it provides such strength. Listening to that old hymn. Some of you were raised in Christian circles around here and that that hymn is not resonating with you. But it resonated with me. And those that are a little older, you remember that one. Some of my greatest devotional times is to grab my songbooks. And I have songbooks from every church I've ever attended. They don't know it, but I borrowed one. <laughs> but I will take one. I always ask permission. Don't, don't, don't do that. But I take that one and I started some at the first very song in the front. And if I know it, I'm singing it. Again, I have to be by myself so nobody can hear. But what a deep devotional time. Because those are things I learned and I've heard them before and they minister to my heart. Well, it's not just music. God's word does that. I listen for direction and then I seek him. And I seek him as his will in prayer. Romans 12 talks about rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, and being constant in prayer. When the bottom falls out, when there is much rubble, we need to be a people in prayer. Stop what you're doing and pray. Grab your kid and pray. Grab your husband and pray. Grab a friend and spend time in prayer. I tried to talk myself out of praying with Linda 12 times while I was sitting up here. No, Lord, she's going to be very embarrassed. It's not good. She won't speak to me for a month. No, Lord, I don't want to do that. It's interrupting everybody else. No, Lord, it's really not a good time. We pray later. I I finally couldn't argue with him anymore. Be a person of prayer. Stop. Throw your arm around someone. When they share a difficulty, don't just say, I'll pray for you. Pray then. In the parking lot. On the phone. In your backyard. These are practical things that we can practice to develop a biblical mindset of waiting. Now, there are two encouragements I want to leave with you this morning about waiting. One of them comes from the book of Habakkuk. you got to find it. Go find it. It's in the Minor Prophets. It's, uh, it's towards the back. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. So find Habakkuk. And if you have not been in Habakkuk in a while, I urge you to spend this afternoon in the book of Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk has a problem. His problem can be captured right there in verse number 2 of chapter 1. He's going to echo the same thing that the psalmist is telling us in Psalm 119. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help? Now, you don't maybe know, but the background of the book of Habakkuk is... The children of Israel, just before they are captured and taken off into Babylon, Habakkuk is a prophet, and he is preaching his heart out to these people and also praying to God for these people. And this book is chock full of, where are you, God? There is much rubble. He says it in chapter 1, he says it in chapter 2. By the time, though, he gets to chapter 3, Oh, my. The encouragement that comes, comes flooding out. It starts with an observation that happens in chapter 2, verse number 20. 220. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And following that silence, then he starts with a prayer that gets recorded in chapter 3. It crescendos in verse 16. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. 
My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Things are bad. Yet. Yet. I have a series of, of messages called the Yetis. And this is one of my favorite Yeti. Yet. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation that's invading us. Because though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Yet. Much rubble. Yet. Waiting is no fun. He's waiting for impending doom for his nation. And yet look where he was. Let me draw your attention to one other passage by way of encouragement. And that's in Isaiah chapter 40. Verse number 31, a passage that's probably familiar to most of you, but I want you to look at it today with maybe a slightly different eye. Isaiah 40, verse 31. The Bible says, let me back up and, and start with verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will never grow weary or tired, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I remember the first time I saw a, a, an eagle up close. I was in Alaska with my dad, and I fell in love with those animals. They are amazing to watch. But the thing that's most fascinating about them is how they can fly. They actually have very short little necks and very short little legs. What they have are long and large wings, and they are smart. If they have to do the foof, foof, foof thing, it takes a ton of energy. It's very hard for them to get up. But they are smart enough to use updrafts. That's why you always see them at the top of, of, of trees. They're on a mountainside. And when the wind comes up a mountain, which it always does, they grab that updraft and they go with it. And when they do that, they're only using 5% of their energy to go maybe 100 miles an hour because they've learned to use the updraft. We are encouraged right here in the book of Isaiah to, to act like eagles. And what happens? We will mount up that same thing if we're looking for the Lord in our circumstances, if we're looking for the Lord and, the, and those updrafts around us, they are there. They come in the, in the, in the place of or in the, in the form of a person, a phone call, a note. They come in a, in a song you hear on the radio. They, they come in something that comes up out of material you had laying around your house. There are updrafts all around us to help us wait. 
to mount up with wings like eagles. So here's my so what. I got four of them. Number one, cool it. (laughs) Stop it. Stop fussing. I want you to look at uh, Psalm 62. Psalm 62. And, and, And my suggestion to myself, you can follow me if you want, is to use some faith statements out loud. Much rubble, I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk over it. I'm going to get my voice in my car or my house or my porch or with my friends. And I'm going to say some faith statements out loud. Like 62, 1 and 2. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. Not in the circumstances around me. Not in who gets elected next week. My soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. And here it is. I will not be shaken. Whew. That'll preach. Cool it. Make some faith statements in your life. The anxiety is growing in you for whatever reason. Find some things in God's word that can become faith statements that you can walk around your house and say them out loud. You say, well, well who's listening? Primarily you. But also the Lord, of course. Cool it. Secondly, press in. Waiting requires some activity. Not the kind of activity we normally think. But it's the kind of activity that says, I'm going to press in to him. I'm going to focus on him. I, I, I love watching kids with their parents. You can tell so much about a relationship in a family just watching the kids when they're standing with their parents. Where, where, where I get the greatest delight is watching a kid that we stand in there, maybe over here. And as the conversation goes on, they take a half a step over here. And some more conversation, they take another half a step. And pretty soon they're leaning all over your leg. Right? This is a good thing. They are leaning in. They've learned to press in, not to recoil. They've learned to come in closer. Psalm 123 verses 1 and 2 talk about where our eyes are focused. When we press in, they are in our, our, our focus is in our, our Father's eyes. It's in His face. We're, we're, we're cranking around to make sure our eyes are focused on Him. You can't wait well in, in isolation in the sense that you don't recognize the presence of the Lord. You've you got to press in. You've got to look. Your focus has got to be on Him. And then you got to lean back. Lean back. You trusted your father to, to be strong enough, your mother to be strong enough, the, the people that you love to be strong enough to help hold you up. But, but you also need to remember that his grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about how, in regardless of the circumstances, his grace is sufficient. We can rest. We can lean back. Let go. Don't cling And lastly, I'm encouraging you with the so what section of our lesson to remember. To remember that the story is not over. Yes, much rubble. But two chapters later, they finish that wall in 52 days. They do an amazing thing in a short period of time. Because they were able to do those things. Cool it. To to press in. To lean back. and And then we get to look and see how the story was not over yet. 
You and I are waiting, we're groaning for stuff to be different, to be better. It is a season like that for our culture right now. We need to remember this is not all there is. And I brought something to help you remember it. Can you see what I have in my hand? It is a fork. You have forks at home. I want to tell you a story about a fork. And then every time you pick a fork up at home, I want you to remember that the story is not over. That God is not finished yet. The story goes like this, and it really is a true story out of my life. My first church experience was a little Baptist church in Garden Grove. And the highlight to fame was potlucks. You ever been to a church potluck? Oh, my. That's where I learned to love banana cream pies. Oh, my goodness. The kind they put in a big sheet cake so you could get three or four good scoops out of it at a time? Yes. Well, they'd have all kinds of food out there. You know, you could dabble in this and that, that the salt, excuse me, the salads and the, and, the, and the meat dishes and all the rest. And oh, terrific beans and potato dishes with cheese in them. I love it. So you'd be having a great time. And, and they would come, the sweet ladies of the church would come around to, to pick up your stuff before dessert would be, would be offered. And here's what would happen. If they only had cookies for dessert, they'd pick up everything at the, at the, at the table in front of you. All your silverware, the, the plates, the napkins, everything got cleared away. Because you could just hold a cookie in your hand. But if they leaned over and whispered, go ahead, keep your fork. Aha! Uh, keep your fork. You know what that means? Banana cream pie. Or something else yummy that requires a fork. Look, guys, I want you to remember... The story is not over. Yeah, we got lots of rubble. And we are on a season of waiting from every perspective. We are being asked to root ourselves in God's word and wait appropriately. But I am encouraging you to remember the Revelation 21 verses 1 to 7 are still true. The, 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 the new heaven and the new earth, they are a coming. They might not come next week or next month. They may be years in advance. But every time I pick up a fork, I can be reminded, the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, help us to learn to be good waiters. To wait on you. To put our focus on you. To press into you. To have our eyes focused on your face. To listen to rehearse in our hearts the things that you've told us the last time we experienced something. Lord, help us to wait on you patiently and to remember the best is, in fact, yet to come. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.